He is risen. He is risen. Uh, today is the day that we remember and celebrate Resurrection Day. And it's Jesus' Resurrection Day. Easter is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with Christians all over the world, not just all over our city or all over our country, but all over the world. We retell the story, all of us, we reaffirm our belief that Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. He was dead. He was dead. And he was buried. But that was not the end of the story, was it? No. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Somewhere, okay, in somewhere in that, the darkness of that tomb, in his lifeless, beaten body, somehow something happened. <gasps> he gasped. <gasps> and he took another breath, and, and his heart must have begun to beat. Jesus came back to life. In that moment, he came back to life. He rose again on the third day, just as the prophets had foretold. He conquered sin and death with the cross and the resurrection so that we could be forgiven. See, sin is what separates humanity from God. And part of the mission of Jesus Christ was to come to reconcile the world to himself, that that separation of sin between us and God, Jesus took it away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he came so we could be forgiven and receive eternal life. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you. I'm going to pose a question, okay, that is perhaps the most important question that anyone will ever answer. And that is this. What do you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is he dead or alive? Do you believe that he rose from the dead or not? Do you believe the tomb was empty? Do you believe he is alive? What say you? Dead or alive? What say you? Huh? Dead or alive? Alive. I believe he is alive. How we answer that question is so important. Last week I told you that Palm Sunday is the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Last week was Palm Sunday. And what they did is they welcomed him with the waving of palms and they would say, Hosanna, which means to save or save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They welcomed him. And yet, that was the beginning of the end for Jesus' earthly ministry and for Holy Week. In our series in the Gospel of Luke, we learned that chapter 9 was a pivotal chapter. And in verse 51 of that chapter, it said Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That statement signified that Jesus knew it was time. It was time. His time had come. He had passed the midway point of his earthly ministry. And very soon, he would go to Jerusalem. And there, he would suffer and be crucified, dead and buried. And that is reflected in his behavior during Holy Week. He's holding nothing back. Between his arrival in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the Last Supper, Jesus, in a very real way, has picked a fight. He's picking a fight with the religious Jerusalem establishment, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the priests, which he's already been wrestling with. He calls them out on how they defile the temple 
for their own gain and selling sacrifices and this and that, flipping over the tables. He calls them out for their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means an actor. Their pseudo-religious exterior. He tells them that you look holy on the outside and you even boast about it. But inside, in your hearts, they're full of corruption. And the, the illustration he uses, whitewashed tombs. They're all clean on the outside, but in, they're full of death and bones. He refers to them as hypocrites, blind guides of the blind, and a brood of vipers. Right? Are those fighting words? Okay, and you know what they'd call that? In Albuquerque, they would say, them there be fighting words. That's what they'd say in Albuquerque. That's how they say it. Them there be fighting words. And we know where this is going, right? We know this is all leading right where Jesus said it would. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, we just read it a couple weeks ago. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. After the Last Supper, Jesus is arrested, tried, convicted, and condemned to death by the high council in Jerusalem. But they have no authority to execute him. So they go to the Roman government and to Pontius Pilate, who is the prefect of Judea, and they execute Jesus by crucifixion. And he's dead. He's dead. He's buried. Many atheists and skeptics of the Christian faith say that the crucifixion probably never happened. That's, that's their assertion, okay? Well, just so you know, and I've, I've studied this a little bit in my life, okay? Just so you know, that fact has been firmly established for thousands of years. The crucifixion of Jesus happened. Listen, it is a matter of historical record. I'm going to read from the writings of Flavius Josephus. He was a first century historian, born in Jerusalem, 37 AD. He was an educated, very educated, Romanized Jew who never converted to Christianity. That's important to know. He's not a Christian. He never converted to Christianity. His writings, for the most part, are secular in nature. Highly, he's highly regarded by scholars in many different fields of study. His two most famous literary works are Jewish Antiquities, which is, that one is just a general history of the Jewish people and Jewish wars which is about the war between Rome and Judea or Israel. His book Jewish Wars includes the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD which includes the destruction of the temple which was tragic and also the fall of Masada in 73 AD. You remember there were some holdouts that that gathered in Herod's mountain top fortress. It took the Romans three years to get them out of there. 73 AD, and they did not take them alive, by the way, and Josephus writes about that. My point is, is that Josephus is a trusted, proven historical source, a secular source, not Christian literature. Secular, just a history book like you would have in school, okay? Having said that, I'm going to read a section from his book, Jewish Antiquities, chapter 18, verse 63. It's going to be up on the screen. This is the longest reference to Jesus of any first century Secular source, not biblical source, but secular source. This is the longest. It says this, At this time there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. He's writing this in his history book. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them 
three days after the crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he, perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets had reported wonders, and I love this, it says, and the tribe of the Christians. It's kind of like the tribe of Judah, right? The tribe of Levi. The tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. In a later passage, chapter 20, verse 200, Josephus gives an account of an effort of Annas the high priest to arrest James the just, who is the half-brother of Jesus, names him as such, and certain other disciples uh, to have them stoned. But this effort, according to Josephus, was thwarted by a government official, government official and King Agrippa. But Josephus, in this section, also refers to James as the half-brother of Jesus. That's important. And then he says the half-brother of Jesus, listen to this, who is called the Christ. Okay, who is called the Christ. Pretty crazy, huh? So exhibit number one in my case for the resurrection is Josephus. Josephus lends tremendous legitimacy to the New Testament writers like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. Because, because he mentions as historical fact, secular historical fact, some of the main players and the people involved in the crucifixion, like Pontius Pilate, Herod the Great, the high priests Ananias and Caiaphas, and like I said before, James, the brother of Jesus and others. And all of this from a secular source, someone who never converted to Christianity. He never converted to Christianity. Josephus' writings collaborate with uncanny accuracy the information contained in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. So, here's my point. So serious historians agree on the proof of Jesus' crucifixion. Peter Stoner, famous scientist and American astronomer, said those who don't are either ignoring the facts or are just being intellectually dishonest. I like that. I like the way he says that. He's just being honest. So there you have it, secular historic record that collaborate biblical writings and what we read in the scripture, it, it matches, it matches. Proof that Jesus lived and that he died of crucifixion and was at least reported in the history book to be alive after the crucifixion, after the crucifixion. Some other skeptics okay, say that the crucifixion was staged, that they just kind of acted it out that Jesus didn't really die that's what some skeptics say well trust me on this and you can google it if you want to you can you can look it up but every expert on the subject okay every expert on the subject agrees you don't fake a death by crucifixion okay you just don't all you do is die by crucifixion you don't fake the death you die by crucifixion it is one of the most brutal forms of execution ever used it was finally outlawed even by in the roman empire at the beginning of the fourth century there's no question that jesus died there's no question it is a given it's historical fact and that is evidenced by the reaction of the disciples when they heard the reports from the women that jesus was alive they didn't believe it they couldn't believe it why well, because they were there they saw it happen they watched him bleed to death and suffocate hanging on the cross. They couldn't believe it. The women and the disciples were the first-hand witnesses to that. And yet, we are gathered here today in this place to celebrate the truth that the crucifixion was not the end of the story. Far from it, right? Far from it. It was just 
the beginning. He is risen. He is risen. Just making sure you're awake. Okay? There are resurrection accounts in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But today, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm not going to start with the resurrection. I'm going to back it up a little bit to the burial of Jesus in verse 57 of chapter 27 and go through 28, verse 10. So listen as I read. Starting with verse 57. It should be, here it is, up on the screen. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. So they're watching all of this go on as he puts Jesus' body in the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. They had a little get-together. And they said, Sir, to Pilate, they said, We remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, they call Jesus a deceiver, imagine that. They say, that deceiver, um, he said that after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be, uh, to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples will come and steal away the body and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Fine, go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they did something in addition to that, they set a seal on the stone. Now, I'm not sure what that was, if it was something blocking the stone from being opened, or if it was just some seal to show that it would be opened. I'm not totally sure about that. Verse 28, I mean chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, it began to dawn on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. They came back. On resurrection day and behold a severe earthquake occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it he's sitting on the stone and his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men they were paralyzed with fear have you ever been paralyzed with fear they were paralyzed with fear the angel said to the woman do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He was crucified. Right? He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. It's like the song we sang at the beginning of the service. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly now and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly. The women did with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. So on the way, they ran into Jesus. Right? And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you this day, Lord. May these words of Scripture 
these words of resurrection and hope and truth, may the way they fall upon our minds and our understanding um, strengthen our faith, give us understanding to help to understand what, what really happened. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you are very clearly saying to us today. Help us to hear. Help us to open our ears, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to answer two questions. I think they're two pretty good questions. Okay, Number one, why should we believe in the resurrection? Why should we be confident that Jesus rose from the dead? That's number one. Second question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why is the resurrection important? Right? And that we really understand all the things about it. Well, to give you an example, I became a Christian in 1974 up in Georgia, Rock Eagle, Georgia. Campus Crusade for Christ Conference. And I believed... In the resurrection, right then, I became a Christian. I believed it just by faith and by a confirmation of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And probably, that's how most of you all did, you know. That's how most of you all did. But aside from that, most of us believe like that. But today, what I want us to do is to look at it objectively, sort of from the eyes of a skeptic, okay. And I want us to look at it like a prosecuting attorney who is piecing together evidence for a case about a crime. Let's say that the crime is murder by crucifixion. That fits, right? Okay, so my exhibit one was Josephus, right? Okay, here's exhibit two. Exhibit two is the disciples and what happens to them immediately, immediately following the crucifixion. When Jesus was crucified and dies, their world falls apart. They literally run and hide. They do the best they can to withdraw from the scene of the crime, right? And blend in with the social landscape because they're afraid. They're more than afraid. They're scared to death. They're scared to death. What's going through their minds, okay, is this. What happened to Jesus might happen to us. Right? They are guilty. They're saying we're guilty by association. We're his disciples. So they're thinking we're next, or we could be next. They're coming for us. They're coming for us. That's exhibit number two. Exhibit three is compare that to after the resurrection and after the day of Pentecost and the ascension. All the disciples, guess what, are unafraid. They are so unafraid. They're bold. They're outspoken. They are driven telling anybody and everybody about the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. He was dead, but now he is alive Again, he was dead, but he's alive. He is risen. He is risen. I love these verses from Acts chapter 5. I just, I just love them. I, count, I commented on it several times in our study on the book of Acts when we covered it. Peter and the other disciples, after the day of Pentecost, they're arrested and put in jail and beaten badly. But they're released with a warning. Okay, And this is basically, not word for word, this is the warning. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop telling people that story about Jesus rising from the dead in the resurrection. So saying that, listen, listen to the two verses from Acts 5, verse 41 and 42. So they went on their way, right? They were released. They went on their way from the presence of the council after their warning, right? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Whose name? Jesus' name. Worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. And listen to this. After their beating, after the warning, 
every day in the temple not in some alley somewhere all right every day in the temple and from house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching jesus as the christ why would they do that why would they do that when i got a whipping from my dad and he told me to stop doing something i stopped well sometimes but i tried to stop right but think about it. why would they do that and here it is this is simple here it is they saw him alive after they watched him die by crucifixion they talked with him they walked with him they ate with him off and on over a period of 40 days not just resurrection day not a few days over a period of 40 days until his ascension well that changed everything for them right from then on the purpose the sole purpose of their lives was to spread the good news that jesus is not dead jesus is alive jesus is the promised messiah as we thought he was jesus is lord you know the first earliest confession of faith for the christian church was three words jesus is lord that's the first confession exhibit number four all of the 12 disciples or apostles except for john were killed because they would not stop talking about jesus they would not stop telling people about the resurrection of jesus the book of acts and other early church writings tell us a few things about it you saw some of this in the living last supper last week james was the first to die 44 a.d death by the sword okay probably took his head off by order of king herod andrew was crucified on an x-shaped cross thomas was pierced through with spears philip was martyred in carthage in north africa matthew met a similar fate except he was burned to death peter and paul lost their lives as missionaries to the city of rome the roman empire they went there during the persecution of emperor nero paul was beheaded Peter was crucified upside down. I'm not going to go through all of them because we, we just did that last week and it's pretty gory. But again, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, because they saw him alive after they watched him die. And then they talked with him and they walked with him and they ate with him over a period of 40 days. Think about it. All they had to do was stop talking about Jesus, stop telling people about the resurrection, and they probably wouldn't have been killed. That's all. That's all they had to do. But they couldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. They had to be true to what they knew and what Jesus had told them to do. In Matthew 28, right after the text I read for today, it tells us that the chief priest was running around spreading a story that the disciples had stolen the body so that they could say that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the chief priests, and they're trying to go around saying, oh, it's a hoax. They made it up. It's all a lie. They stole the body. It's just a hoax. Okay, tell me this. Okay, tell me this. If it were a hoax, all right, how many people do you know who would die for a lie? Who in their right mind would allow themselves willingly, willingly to be executed for a hoax, for a scam that they created just to keep that going? How many people do you know that would do that? I'll answer the question for you. Nobody. 
nobody. Not Chris, not you, not me, nobody. The disciples did what they did and lived how they lived and died how they died because they saw what they saw. And they knew what they knew. Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you. Exhibit five is the women in my case for the resurrection. Okay. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the women were the first witnesses, witnesses to the empty tomb and also witnesses to the risen Christ. And then they report it to the disciples. They reported that back to the disciples that Jesus was alive. They were the first. Okay. Now, this is my point. If someone was making this up, this was a hoax, you know, they were writing it, they were making it up to convince people it was true, if they were trying to make it believable, they would never write it that way. They would never say that the women were the first ones to find Jesus, and I'm going to tell you why, okay? In the first century at that time, women were not considered credible witnesses. Not at that time. They couldn't testify in a court of law, religious or civil, right? So, okay, if this was a hoax and a made-up story, they wouldn't have written it as the women being the first at the tomb, the first witnesses to see it. They would have said, they would have written it to make it more believable. Oh, it was the disciples, or oh, it was Joseph of Arimathea, or it was Nicodemus, the Pharisee. It would have been a man, most likely, if they were making it up. Okay, well, then why did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write that in the Gospels? Why, why do they do that? Because that's what happened. <laughs> they wrote that because that's exactly what happened. They were telling the truth. That's what happened. And Jesus made sure, I think this was Jesus' choice, he made sure that the women were the first to, dis to discover him. What an honor for you ladies, right? For women. He chose them to be the first because he knew they would be faithful and dependable. To go and tell the disciples, unafraid, and not just the disciples, but everyone else, right? They're going to tell everyone. He chose the women because he knew they would be faithful to tell the disciples and the world. They were like the female disciples that followed Jesus. He is risen. He is risen. That was exhibit five. Here's exhibit six in the case for the resurrection. This is what happens. Exhibit six is what happens to the Roman Empire after the resurrection. Okay? Christianity did not exist before the first century. We know that, historically speaking. But by the end of the first century, Christianity had permeated most of the Roman Empire. As far as Britannia, Britain, Britannia and Russia and northern Africa. Okay, and all of that, all of that happened without Facebook, Twitter, or what's the other, Instagram, and the internet. How? That's unbelievable, right? It all happened without the internet. But it happened. That happened. Even the most ardent and stubborn of skeptics have to admit that something big, something very big happened in and around the Jerusalem area. 33 A.D. 
because it was like a bomb went off. This social, religious, Christian napalm bomb exploded, spreading Christianity like wildfire across the entire Roman Empire. Jesus went viral without the internet. He went viral without the internet. And we know. See, we know what happened in Jerusalem in 33 AD. We know. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And the women and his disciples watched him die. And they saw him alive again. The women were first. And they did what he said to do. And you know what he told them to do. You hear it every week. I usually say it here. He told them to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you. He told them, in the book of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. By 313 A.D., Christianity had swallowed up the Roman Empire. Emperor Constantine, whose mother became a Christian, her name was Helene, Helene. He issued an edict of Milan, the Edict of Milan decriminalizing Christian faith and worship. 380, 380 AD, Christianity becomes the state church of Rome by empirical decree. How does that happen? How does that happen? No internet, no nothing, no telephone. Well, I'll tell you. The women and the disciples saw Jesus alive after they watched him die on the cross. They walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, and they did what he said to do. That's the important part. He did what they said to do. Go. Tell people. Let me close by answering this question, the second question that I started with. Why does it matter? Why is the resurrection important? And here it is. This is why it's simple, but it's essential to understand. It means Jesus is not dead. That's what it means. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive right now. He's here. And because he lives, we will live also. Because he lives, we will be with each other and we'll be with him forever in his presence. He said, in my father's house are many dwellings. If I, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Why is the resurrection important? The resurrection is evidence and proof positive that Jesus, that Jesus said is true. Everything he said was true. He is who he said he is. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way to God. He is the complete truth about God. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. The resurrection means even if we die, yet shall we live. The resurrection means whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what is the practical application for this knowledge that we've learned today 
about the resurrection? Well, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. The resurrection means that there's nothing more important than knowing Jesus. Nothing. Nothing more important than knowing him, trusting him, loving him, following him, and living for him. Nothing is more important. Everything else is two, three, four, five, six down the road, right? There's nothing more important. Everything else pales in importance. He is risen. He is risen. Right now, I'm going to, to pray, and we're going to have a closing song. But what I'd like to do right now is, somebody's listening online, or you're here today, if you've never thought much about this, and you've never ever thought, well, maybe I should become a Christian. If you're thinking that today, and you want to become a Christian, I'm going I'm to have some prayer time and give you an opportunity to make that commitment. And I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward or anything like that, but just to stay in your seat. But if you make that decision, please tell someone about it because you need to become a part of a Bible-based church. It doesn't need to be this church, but it needs to be a church where you hear the Word of God and you spend time with other Christians. But um, I would like to pray and give you that opportunity. Okay? Um, I did that in 1974, <laughs> and it changed my life forever. People in my high school that knew me because I was a little bit of a rough character they heard, John Blake became a Christian. That's what they told him. They said, oh, yeah, you got to be kidding me. Said, that'll last two weeks. And it did. And a few more. And here I am. So that may be you out there. And you may be me, where I was in 1974. So pray with me now together. Let's all pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're here. We don't have to ask for you to be here. You love us. You're present with us. God, I pray for the hearts of those who are listening to this message. And pray for the things that you're doing in them by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. That you would be honored by what happened here today on this Easter service. We pray that you would be honored. God, I thank you for those. And if, if you're tugging on someone's heart, you've already chosen them. They don't even know it. You pick them. You pick them. To you. So God, I pray that you would be honored in all that we say and do. And if that's you out there, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you with all that I am. Lord, I am a sinner and deserving of punishment. But I ask that you would forgive me by your grace and by your mercy. Receive me as your child and as your disciple. Lord, I receive you and accept you as my Lord and my Savior, not just to save me, but for me to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, save me. Save me. And claim me. And keep me as your own. You have chosen me. Lord, redeem me and seal me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I love you and I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.